0: Welcome to The Diving Pod. I'm Greg Luganis, four-time Olympic gold medalist. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. Once again, this
1: podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Sideline Scout. Get over to sidelinescout.com. Check out their Poolside Live package. It's got the best video replay system in the business for diving. It's on all the major pool decks. Our logo was just added to their website, so that was kind of fun to see that. Um, But like I said, Poolside Live from sidelinescout.com go check that out and uh, mention the podcast all
2: right so just jumping right in here Greg kind of take us through your diving journey what we typically tell people is give us as much detail as you'd like how you got started in the sport um, college decision process and how you got to where you are now so take as much time as you wish
0: oh my okay so um, well I started in dance and acrobatics when I was a year and a half I started performing on stage when I was three and uh, I got a partner when I was three. And so we were too young to compete in talent contests. You had to be six years old before you could compete. And so we did recitals and plays and all that. And then uh, my partner, it was Eleanor Smith and Greg Luganis. So at that time, I got second billing. <laughs> and so, <laughs> right, um, so Eleanor went into gymnastics and I followed her into gymnastics And so that was actually my first love was gymnastics. And it was my dream to make the Olympic team in gymnastics. Uh, And then when I was about eight years old, I we had a pool built in our backyard with a diving board. And I started trying some of my gymnastics stunts up my diving board at home. And my mother didn't want me to kill myself. So she got me lessons. So first day after lessons, the coach there asked if I would join the club team. And I said, i think about it because, I mean, I was doing tap and jazz and acrobatics and gymnastics and now diving. So, you know, it, it was kind of crazy. And actually, I continued that until I was about 12 and I got Osney Slaughter's yeah. um, water on the knee. Mm-hmm. And so my doctor said, well, you've got to quit the dance and acrobatics and um, gymnastics, but you could continue diving. Uh, and so that's when all of that energy was focused into one discipline. And so a year later I became, I, I was world champion for my age group, went to, um, uh, age group world championships. And, um, then three years after that, I made my first Olympic team. I was 16. Uh, Montreal was my first Olympics silver medal there, um, and, you know, it's interesting because I I never really thought I was good enough. Um, I really didn't feel like I really made it until years later. It was the world championships in 82. I made, you know, two Olympic teams. I was world champion and and all. But at Guay- in Guayaquil, Ecuador, I remember we were introduced for the finals in reverse order of finish. So I won the prelims. So I was introduced last. And, uh, I remember Alexander Pertinov was introduced as 19, uh, Olympic gold medalist, 1980. And of course I qualified for the 1980 Olympic team, but we didn't send a team. And then, uh, and then I was introduced Greg Louganis, United States of America, uh, olympic silver medalist 1976 and i was thinking, i looked over at alexander and I was like thinking in my head like, you won the gold medal because i wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> and i i just was like wanting to prove a point because i always wanted my performance to speak for itself i didn't want to have to speak for my performance mm-hmm. and so as it turned out i mean i uh was going through the competition. It was Guayaquil, Ecuador. It was a beautiful day. And I was just trucking along, diving really, really well. And then came down to last dive and uh, front three and a half pike. And I looked at the scoreboard to make sure that it was the correct dive number. And it was, and I noticed my, the score was flat. My score was flashing. So it was like, I already won. I didn't have to do my last dive. So, and I think it's still the highest uh, point margin that any world championships has ever been won. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a process. It, it really was. Uh, as far as c- my collegiate decision, uh, I, I grew up in Southern California. And so I was recruited uh, by all the schools and so I could pretty much go anywhere. But I wanted to go away you know, to school, uh, because I didn't want to stay in Southern California. I felt like there was people knew who I was and, and all, so I kind of wanted to go away. So I went to the University of Miami for two years. Um, and, and also I was in the drama department. So it was funny because in one of the productions that I was, I was in Equus, uh, at, uh, in, at the University of Miami. And, uh, it was I can't remember if it was a rehearsal or a performance, but Jimmy Puig, who is the lead actor in um, in Equus, he played Dr. Dysart and he said, you know, I know Greg Luganus the actor, but I understand you dive as well. I was like, yeah, yeah I'm kind of on scholarship for that here. So, <laughs> but, you know, it I always wanted to be accepted in whatever I did on my own merits in whatever I was doing, whether it was acting, whether it was dance, whether it was diving. Um, so that was something that was like really important to me. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, so going back just a little bit, I'm very curious as to, if if my memory recalls correctly, when you were eight, kind of getting the news that you had to stop some of those original passions, what was that like for the eight-year-old Greg to go through that?
0: Well, uh, that, when I was 12, you mean uh, 12, think. sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with the Osney slaughters mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Well, it was really frustrated because, uh, I, you know, it was a lot, it was pretty painful, you know, to go through that, that process and, um, you know, uh, and dealing with that. And so I was, I, I, you know, I was angry. I was frustrated. Um, there, I mean, there were a lot of emotions. I mean, I went through a really bad rebellion at that time too. Um, You know, you're going through your, you know, you know, your adolescence, you're, you know, just coming into your adolescence and hormones and all that stuff. So there was a lot, a lot of stuff going on at that time. Um, But, you know, at least I had diving. And, uh, and so then that, you know, kind of was, a focused energy and I think Perfect. that's the reason why I, I was able to you know to be as successful as I as I was able to be right yeah. right
1: so I regard you as the greatest of all time and you know you think about other sports with Michael Jordan and LeBron James there's always an argument but for me there's no argument for diving it's yeah. it's Greg Luganis, he's the one of one on the Mount Rushmore of diving um what I would love to know and hear you talk about is how you stayed motivated and how you dealt with pressure. Once you finally broke through of what you said was, okay, I felt like I finally made it. And I absolutely agree with you. Had you been there and the United States, sent a team in the, in 1980, I, I do think that was one of those where, Hey, you kind of only won because I wasn't there, but how do you continue to push yourself when you are number one and everybody else is chasing you?
0: Well, that's a thing that that was so great about my relationship with my coach Ron O'Brien is that um he he understood me. He got me. He knew that I was a performer, not a competitor. And so you know, it um I just have a different uh, approach in, in in the way that I I kind of see things. So when, you know, once I got to to Ron, some of the things that uh, that he kind of triggered in you know in my thought process, um, he he told me that you know they're going to forget your dives, they're going to forget what you you did, but they they won't forget the records that you make. And so then it was kind of a journey. To you know, break. Initially, it was Cynthia Potter's uh, record for national championship titles, and then um, you know, and then going beyond that, um, point scores uh, for which would indicate performance. Uh, to break seven hundred at that time in ten on ten mirror platform, I had to average eight and a halves or better. On all ten dives that I executed, so Ron and I would play this game in training, and say, "Okay, we're playing the 700 game." I don't like to do repeats, so, <laughs> so I mean, it, you know, so uh, you know, I that was that was I was very motivated, you know, to get eight and a half or better because then I could go through my practice and do one of each. And so, um, you know, there were times when I was successful. There were times when I wasn't most of the times I was not successful, you know, and that is something that is really important that, um, you know, you learn an important lesson. It's like, even if I wasn't successful, the sun's going to come up the next day, it's going to be a whole new day. Um, you know, the world's not going to end. Uh, and, and also, what it feels like to, you know, to be able to break 700, you know, so we broke 700 on 10 meter platform in practice before we ever did it at the Olympic games in 84, you know, so, and it was all about the performance. Um And I always felt like I, I never, I, I wasn't really looking at anyone as my competition because I felt if I was looking at somebody as my competition, then I'd be limiting myself because chances are, if they miss a dive, if we're in a competition, if they miss a dive, I'm more apt to miss my dive, you know, because that is kind of the benchmark that we set for ourselves. So I didn't want to have that benchmark. I didn't want to have that limitation. So that was something that was, um, you know, that was really important to me and, you know, something that I strived for.
2: That makes perfect sense. Um, You know, so talk to us a little bit about the 1988 three meter event where you did hit your head on 305B, reverse two and a half pike, and then having to get back up and do reverse twister to make finals and how that process played out. And then even going into finals, knowing you're going to have to redo those again.
0: Right. Okay. So, um, wow. I mean, When I took off the board on my reverse two-and-a-half pike, I knew I was going to be close because I stood it up pretty straight. And usually when you're close on a reverse two-and-a-half pike, you worry about hitting your hands or your arm or something like that. So I made sure that I came out with my arms close to my body so I wouldn't hit my hands. And I thought I was well past the board as I was coming out. I thought, oh, got through that one. And then all of a sudden I heard this big hollow thud and I'm thinking, what the hell was that? And then I go crashing in the water and I realize, oh my God, that was my head. And the first emotion that I felt was I was embarrassed. You know, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, how, how can I get out of the pool without anybody seeing me? Because I was so embarrassed. Um, And of course the entire world's watching. And so, (laughs) so then you know, I climbed out, you know, and, and also, um, you know, I was holding my head out of fear because six months prior to that Olympic Games, I was diagnosed HIV positive. And so at that time in 1988, there was so much fear surrounding HIV. There wasn't a whole lot of information about how you get HIV and also how you don't get HIV. And so, um, I was also competing in a country that had they known my HIV status, I would not have been able to enter the country, you know, because there were travel bans, um, you know, surrounding HIV and AIDS. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a really scary time. Uh, and so when that happened, um, Ron came to me. And I saw some of my scores and some of them were zeros. And so I thought that I was totally out of the competition. And so I figured, you know, you know, that was it. And, you know, when Ron asked me what I wanted to do, that I did not have to get back on the board. You know, that you can walk away. You've got all these records. You have an incredible career to look back on. Um, You don't have to get back up there. And it was kind of a knee jerk reaction. You know, I turned to him and said, You know, we worked too long and hard to get here, and I don't want to give up without a fight. And so then he said, Okay, so it's, you know, got my head sewn up. And then he said, Let's take a walk. And so when we were walking, he said, Oh, hockey players get 30 stitches and get back on the ice. You got five stitches in your head. It's nothing, you know, and we were just laughing. You know, he really kind of broke that tension with humor. And so then, you know, when, um, when I got up on, on the board for my reverse one and a half or three and a half twists, um, I was setting the fulcrum. They announced my dive, Greg Luganus from the United States, reverse one and a half or three and a half twists. And then I could hear an audible gasp from the audience because it was a dive going in the same direction. Yep. And I was like, okay, so, you know, I take a deep breath and pat my chest because I felt like my heart was pounding outside my chest. And so I patted my chest and the people in the vicinity who saw that start, they laughed. They, you know, there was a little chuckle, you know, it was like, oh my God, he's scared. You know, and I was like, yeah, I am scared. I don't know what happened. (laughs) And so that made me laugh. And so, you know, it's like, Okay you know, get set, reverse one and a half, three and a half twist. I said, you know what, this is, you know, and I told myself, this is the Olympics. You can't hold back. And so, um, you know, said, okay, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I, I remember the one thing that my, that Ron said uh, before I went up, he said, just, just do it like you've been doing in practice. I was like, okay, I'll do it like I've been doing in practice. And so, yeah, so I, did my reverse one and a half a three and a half twist. And I think it was like the highest scoring dive with that Olympics. I'm not, it, I'm not sure. It,
1: even that one, I, I there's a great video on YouTube. It's, it's summing this up essentially in video form. It's like a minute and a half and it's, you're hitting your head and then the process in between and then you get up for reverse twister. And even that one, the top, I'm like, wow, after being a little tight on gainer two and a half pike, that top on reverse twister was still really good. You put <laughs> that one straight up in the air too.
0: It was, yeah. And, and Ron said, you're still too close to the board. <laughs> yeah. He said, you're still too close. So when it came to my reverse three and a half, he said, jump it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sometimes
2: the best coach ever gives you the most simple correction. Just go out a little bit. So I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I guess, you know, my follow up question would be, what advice could you give to young divers who, maybe let's hope haven't hit the board, but are going through something they're really scared of and how can they work to overcome
0: that? You know, um, it, you know it's funny because like, uh, I, I, I would get this question a lot you know, with the young divers, especially learning new dives and, and all that. Um, but uh, the perfect example um, is a Harry Potter, a you know, prisoner of Azkaban, You know, I I usually ask the kids, okay, what's a Bogart? You know, a Bogart is a shapeshifter that turns into your greatest fear. Okay, how do you transform a Bogart? The spell is ridiculous. You make it look really, really ridiculous. How do you banish a Bogart? You laugh at it. And that's exactly how you deal with fear. Because what I would do is if I was learning a new dive, then I would go through my, my visualization and visualize what I'm afraid of, okay? Visualize it. Okay, I'm afraid of smacking. Okay, I smack really bad. Okay, now I make it worse. I smack really bad and I bounce off the water. And then I smack really bad, bounce off the water and back on the board. You know, I mean, make it so ridiculous that I can laugh at it because I know it's not going to happen. And then once I laugh at it, it takes the power out of that fear. That's wow. That's how that's how I work with kids to get over their fear.
2: I I love I love the fact that you're like embrace it. It's okay to be scared, and let's almost take that fear and turn it up, and then make it just so ridiculous you
0: laugh at it. That's that's incredible. That's such a great piece of advice. Yeah, because, you know, if if you're trying to push it away, push it away, push it away, push it away, it makes it more present. Mm -hmm. But if you can, you know, go through that, make it so ridiculous and then and then be able to say, you know, see how ridiculous you're being, how, you know, in your head you're being and able to laugh at it, that just changes the chemistry in your body to where you're a lot more open and receptive to, to possibly, you know, uh, allowing your body to do what it was trained, trained to do to do the lead up, you know, uh, takeoff and, you know, and, and everything else will take care of itself. Right. Wow. That's, that's
1: awesome. I really, really love that. (laughs) Um, So we had a chance to speak with Ron O'Brien on a previous episode and he was phenomenal. Um, What, what my question is here is, is can you tell us about the relationship you had with Ron, how he helped in practice competition mentally, and then what that relationship is like now?
0: Well, you know uh, with, with, ron I mean, our our relationship really grew because when i first went to him oh my god this is the god of diving you know the the, the god coats of diving and so and you know um he was just on this incredible pedestal and then over time he it was like he was he was a father figure for me you know advising me um you know how school's going and 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 whatnot uh uh you know so just very fatherly uh and then you know towards the and and also there was so much respect there for ron I, i i never wanted to let him down and so oftentimes like when when an athlete becomes friends with their coach then you know you try and uh manipulate, you know, to get you you know, oh, I don't want to do this dive. I can't, can we not, you know, avoid, you know, a dive that's not your particular favorite? I'm, I, I'm the opposite. I, I want to work that much harder for this person that I have such tremendous respect for, you know, not take advantage, you know, and, and really make them proud. Um, and so that was kind of the relationship that, that we had and, uh, you know, and that friendship, you know, there's so much love, respect, and trust that we really had in each other. And, you know, which continues to this day. I mean, I, you know, uh, he, he's, he's family. He's my, you know, he's a part of my extended family.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've opened up a relationship with Ron, uh, just, you know, calling each other and that kind of thing. And
0: he's, he's phenomenal. Yeah. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Yes. Um, and, and, and I also have, have to give out a shout out to Tim and, yes. Ann O'Brien because, they, you know, cause they had to, you know, share their dad with a lot of pretty incredible divers.
2: Yep. Yep. Well, it's it's actually really ironic. We actually were fortunate to meet uh, Mr. Tim O'Brien as well because the first time we tried to do a Zoom with Ron, he could not figure out the volume, <laughs> and it was like he was whispering. And then Tim came over and helped him out the next week. It was it was wonderful. Um, yeah. So so when you look back at your competitive career, what do you think was the biggest attribute that separated you from your competitors? that kind of made that difference for you over the course of your career?
0: Um, You know, I, I, I think, I think a big thing is just not, um, not seeing anybody as my competition. You know, I, I really, because they pushed me to be better and I was pushing them to be better. So it really was this, this relationship. It wasn't, Adversarial. It was. It, it was all about you know the performance and how that um, you know, and it's it's almost like you know choreography, you know, um, and you know I, th- I think that that is probably you know the thing that stands out most.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. What would you tell, let's say, a young diver who is very talented wants to become? exceptional what would you say to that person that's aspiring to be great a little tidbit
0: of advice um tidbit of advice uh i um probably you know don't be don't be afraid to be different you know i mean because you you kind of have to embrace that you know it's funny because like i'm you know working on this um on on something right now where you know i'm contemplating that you know i mean a lot of this stuff that i did is really sick you know i, I, I like i'm one sick puppy that's you know that that's what kind of comes to mind i'm one sick puppy because you know it's just like you know okay an olympic gold medal great one you know break 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 record great move on you don't get you know you don't go out and do four olympic gold medals that's a little obsessive you know that's that's real. that's one sick puppy <laughs> it,
2: it it just you know i could be a little off kilter here but you just strike me as whatever you do you are driven to be different at it and obsessed with it and that's part of probably what has led to so much success even outside of the water it, does that seem accurate um, uh, it,
0: yeah, it could be, I mean, I, you know, I am an Aquarius and, you know, we're known to be rebellious, you know, little rebels. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, that kind of runs pretty, um, you know, pretty deep in my blood. Wonderful.
2: So this next question is actually from, uh, Mr. Matt O'Neill. He coaches at Harvard. Um, he said, legend has it, you almost never balked. Do you have any tips for divers struggling with box or advice for coaches to reduce this for the group as a whole?
0: Okay. So, um, yeah, Ron says that, you know, he, in the 10 years that he coached me, he could count on one hand how many times I bought. Um, and what I attribute that to is that every single takeoff, you know, especially the bad takeoffs, you know, you get, you get on the corner of the board or, you know, whatever your balance is off or whatever. Um, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to see how successful you can be. It's because it's not about perfection, you know, and winning gold medals is not about perfection. You know, it's, it's about, how successful you can be at that moment in time. So any bad takeoff, I, you know, and, and bad weather. I mean, that's a blessing to me because then it's like, Oh, I can see how successful I can be in this bad weather. I can see how successful I can be, you know, on the corner of the board or, you know, with whatever takeoff I have, you know, to see um, how I can make the adjustments know to at least land on my head or you know do the best that i can in that situation because what if that happens at the olympic games what if that happens at the olympic trials what if that happens uh, because it will chances are it probably will so if you can have the confidence that oh i i I know how to to adjust for this and and make those adjustments it's not going to be a 10, but you know what? A, a six or seven is better than a two or three. Four Absolutely. or five. Absolutely.
2: Um, so we um, had the good fortune to speak with Dr. Don Green. Oh um, yeah. So we're trying to get him scheduled. He actually came out with his new book and he got laryngitis right before the book tour. Right. And, and so when originally speaking to him, he said, if we ever got the opportunity to speak to you, we needed to ask you, About because he said Greg taught me a lot of things that I never knew. He said, You have to ask Greg about his ability to listen to the board and how that helped guide him so much.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, um, I was a dancer before I did anything, any of this stuff. I started dancing and doing acrobatics when I was a year and a half. So, we're performing to music. You know, so it's all about, um, you know, the downbeat, you know, um, you know, being on the beat. So I was very accustomed to that at a very early age. When I was about eight or nine, um, my coach kept saying, ride the board, ride the board, ride the board, ride the board. And I was only eight or nine years old. I said, what do you mean ride the board? And he said, well, when you step up into your hurdle, you'll hear the board beat, beat, and then you'll be coming down on the board. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, so then the board become in motion, the beating against the fulcrum becomes my percussion. So then it's like beat, beat. I know, I know timing. I know rhythm. And so I knew if I was going to be landing on the board to be in sync with it, if I was coming down onto the board too soon, I could bend my knees and delay striking the board so that I can be in sync with the board. So these are all little minor adjustments and things that I listen to um, as, as a part of the performance, as a part of the execution.
2: That, that makes so much sense. That's and perfect.
0: It, it sounds to me as well,
1: from that perspective, when you were on your one hurdle leg driving up, you almost at that point, once you're in that part of the hurdle, you knew where the board was going to be you know, based on both your takeoff from the hurdle leg and the sound, the board made after that part of it, is that about right? You kind of knew where everything
0: was. Right. Because you're, you're listening to the beat, the rhythm, you know? So, I mean, and that's what I tell all, all of the divers that I work with center, you know, get centered, find your breath, you know, make sure you're breathing and then find the rhythm everything has a rhythm everything has a rhythm comedy has a rhythm drama has a rhythm diving has a rhythm you know it's finding that rhythm and also um say uh you're say you're back on the board or, or or something like that it could be rather than think i'm back on the board what I would think is pick up the tempo.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, pick up the tempo because, and, and that's what, uh, what I learned with Dawn Green is, you know, performance lives in your right brain. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, when you are executing, if you are analytical judging anything, that's left brain. But if you can maintain that right brain because performance, sensation, uh, motor skills, all of that is right brain. So it, has, it doesn't have, uh, have to travel. You know, You can stay in your right brain. So there's ways that you can stay in your right brain and still make those adjustments necessary. You know, whether it is keying into a color or uh, a, a scent or it, it you, utilizing all of your senses, mm-hmm. um, you know, then or changing the rhythm, pick it up, you know, kind of thing so that you can stay in your right brain. And it, it's funny because I, I do say sense of smell and people... Um, I know divers think that I'm, I'm nuts, but, uh, at, in Madrid, Spain, uh, at the world championships, it was really odd lighting. Um, so at, uh, you know, on 10 meter platform, there was this dome. It was really light up top, you know, certain times of day. And then you drop through kind of shadow ish. Uh, and then the pools lit a little bit. So like on my inward three and a half, I, I, I had trouble picking up my spots a lot of time on my inward three and a half. So, um, the one thing that was consistent, it was an indoor facility. So, you know, how the chlorine kind of wafts off the surface of the, of the water, mm-hmm. you know? So I would start my inward three and a half and I would smell the chlorine and I'd go away, smell the chlorine, <laughs> They go away, smell the chlorine, you know, because the scent gets stronger as you're moving towards it. And so, in a sense, I was smelling for my spots.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: you know, it, it's like you use whatever is going to support you yeah. in whatever conditions you're in. Yeah. Um, at that same pool, front three and a half on three meter springboard, I didn't always pick up my spots on my front three and a half pike. So one thing there was a spray on the water so I could hear it. And so it would get louder and then go away. It would get louder, it would go away. It would get louder and so the sound was also uh enabling me to um uh to verify, you know, cuz we're verifying very quickly, you know, that that was my spot. Right. So
2: through that process, I guess my question would be, is that something you continually practiced beforehand? And then you got there and you realized you weren't visually seeing your spots. So then you relied on those other senses, or is that something that in the heat of the moment you realized, oh, I can notice these things.
0: No, it's, it's, it's taking in fully taking in the, the environment fully and experiencing it so you're doing that in your training sessions right right you know you that those those things are are coming you know in your training sessions you know it it's a lot quieter Mm -hmm. uh in the competition and so it's uh it it, you know everything is kind of elevated um and and makes it a a bit easier for you to focus on those particular things
1: yeah I really liked what you had to say about using your five senses. And I say this to my divers all the time as a little training exercise and a uh, visualization technique. I just say, you know, think of all your five senses, the, the seeing part, the feeling part, they're easy in diving. And my, from my perspective, you can feel the board. Everybody knows what a diving board feels like below your feet and the railings when you step up and you're seeing the end of the board and the water the tough ones are, are always the, the taste and the smell. So what I tell my athletes sometimes is, hey, pack yourself a, a, a red Gatorade and remind yourself, you know, oh, that red Gatorade, that tastes like cherry. Yeah, why don't you repeat that during a competition? Then you have that and you can taste it every time. And you're, you're soaking that in, not only in practice, but it's a it's a constant for competition as well. And, you know, same with smell. We all know, we can smell what that red Gatorade smells like. So it was fun to hear you say that and, and knowing, you know, what we do in practice for competition to keep things consistent, but also use all five senses. I mean, it's
0: incredibly important. Yeah. To just be open to information, you know, cause we're get we're information gatherers, you know, and there's so much being thrown at us all, all at one, all at once. Um, and you know, to be open to what might, you might benefit from, you know, what might help you along that journey so that you don't, uh, you don't negate anything, you know, yeah. and, you know I, and, and, and that's the thing that, you know, the biggest thing, especially, you know, for divers, not to judge, you know, we, cause we're judging ourselves and then we have, People, judges who are judging us and, and all of that. Um, but, you know, to let go of the judgment and just, you know, allow, you know, kind of the performance to happen and, yeah. and, and trust it, trust, you know, trust that. Uh, and also, you know, another thing came to me uh, while I was working with Don as well. It was like, I used to think of my performance as, you know all ten dives are all eleven dives, and that was a competition right so but in reality, every a dive takes less than three seconds, and in that three seconds is your creation, and you're never going to have the same creation twice you know it's um, it's like you can never walk across a river you can't walk across the same river twice you know because there's always something different so each dive is a new creation and if you think of it that way it's going to be a lot easier for you to let go you do a bad dive okay that was my creation well that sucked okay next you know let it go you know, because where a lot of athletes get in trouble is they hang on to that bad dive. You know, and that bad dive's done, over with. You you know, nothing you can do about it. And and then on the other side of the spectrum, probably the the most distracted I have ever been was uh, World Championships, Guayaquil, Ecuador, inward one and a half pike. I got straight tens that was so freaking distracting because then I'm thinking, Oh, everybody's going to expect tens on my next dive. And I had my arm stand cut through and it was like, I didn't do a very good arm stand cut through. And I was like, thank God that's over, you know, cause then I could let that go. Right. You know, completely, you know, because, but straight tens was really distracting and it's something that you don't think about. You think, oh, that's what we're striving for. You know, we're striving for straight tens. You know, it's like, well, what if it happens? It's like, ah, oh, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be able to let that go too? <laughs> so you know, um yeah, so success and you know uh and when you're challenged with a you know with a messy dive then you know it really is so important that you let that go because it's a new creation, new creation, new creation, new creation. Well, and I love what you said about, you
1: know, the straight tens aspect and that being more of a distraction. I play a lot of golf and I, if I, if I start off with a birdie on the first hole, my brain starts going, Oh man, if I get another one, I could be lowest (laughs) round ever. This could be the best score I've (laughs) ever had. (laughs) No, no, no. Stop. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Let it go and move on yeah know, just you know, give it its blessing and it's it's done
1: so you spoke a little bit previously about breathing and and the importance of breathing. We actually talked to one of your former teammates Dr. Megan Nyer, and she mentioned a lot of diaphragmatic breathing uh, we know that's a big part of your life. Can you expand on that a little bit
0: well okay so um you know I don't know diaphragmatic breathing um the the one thing that I that that I I would do um because that, that was the one thing that Ron O'Brien said, you know, if you can teach the divers to breathe through their dive, then you know we might have a chance to beat the Chinese. <laughs> um and so it was like I was trying to figure it out. Uh and so then the way that I kind of constructed it in my head, because I also train dogs and I do use a clicker you know clicker mm-hmm. training yep. and so my thought was if i can precondition pre-condi- um the divers to a clicker and in using humans it's called tag teach so teaching with acoustic guidance mm-hmm. and so um what i would do is i'd do a presentation an hour and a half hour hour and a half And I would be clicking through. Now, the instructions were expel all the air out of your lungs. uh, Every click and count how many clicks. Every single diver got the correct number. And so then, obviously, they were conditioned to expel all the air out of your lungs, uh, you know, to the clicker. So then the next day when we showed up to the pool, we'd be on the dry board, and I would start clicking where the breaths go. Ah, and so then that gave them the information and the thing that I love about the clicker there's you know there's no emotion, it's just information mm-hmm. you know um so you're just giving them information yeah. uh sometimes they they hit on the click or it it prompted them where where the where the breaths go, and every single diver they stated how much easier it was, how much, how, how effortless it was, you know, to, you know, uh, for their takeoffs um, because their breath was supporting what they were doing. You know, and a lot of the divers do a lot of the breaths naturally, you know, it's it's a necessity, um, But if you can do that with awareness, then it it allows your body to really support itself. You know, and especially since, you know, there's so much emphasis on optional dives now that, you know, you need that, you need the support, you know, and to be able to practice it. Um, Also, that's every single competition for me um, had a certain rhythm. You know and that and that's oftentimes how I coach as well. And it's like, okay, this is the conditions, you know, a meaningful song, you know, can be very powerful. Music is right brain. And so getting into the music, the ideas, the imagination, you know, all very right brain and be able to, you know, maintain that um that competitive edge to stay in your performance, performance zone. Mm-hmm.
2: So this just kind of recapping a little bit of what we talked up to this point. <laughs> for me, I'm sitting here listening and like, so I'm trying to read Dr. Green's book right now. The first one is uh, performance performance success. And it's everything you're talking about centering right brain, left brain. Mm-hmm. Do you ever take a moment to just sit back and be like, wow, like, cause he's worked with performers, not just as athletes, but also like for you to have this team of Dr. Green, uh, you know, Ron and, and all the other people and just be like, wow, like it was the perfect storm for someone like yourself coming from the background you came
0: from. Well, it was interesting because, um, um, you know, Dr. Green, um, when I was diving, Dr. Green and I didn't really work together. Mm -hmm. Although I did, there was a competition. I went to him. I said, you know, Dr. Green, um, you know, uh, some things were getting to me, you know, they had this whole fag buster campaign and all that. And it was kind of getting to me and I wasn't in the shape that I would have liked to have been in. And I said, you know, I don't usually. and I went to to Dr. Green and I said, you know, I, I don't usually, this stuff usually doesn't get to me, but it's kind of wearing me down. What do I do? And then this was, I don't know, probably early eighties or something. And I said, well, just surround yourself with white light. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I got it. I understood that. I mean, because, you know, I, there, that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, you know, I was taught, you know, surround yourself with a bubble, you know, and then fill it the, full of healing white light. And so that made sense to me you know, and a lot of the meditations, relaxation, visualization, a lot of that work that I did as a kid, you know, it just made sense to me. And so, and then Dr. Greens, you know, shared with me, said, oh my God, I was so scared when I told you that, because I thought, you know, they're going to put me away. (laughs) I'll be fired. (laughs) They'll put me away, you know, because it was kind of cutting edge stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, people weren't thinking that way, right? They were not thinking about intuition they weren't thinking about you know energy you know and and that's so much a part of you know uh you know of probably the reason why i was able to do all the things that i was able to do right that just just incredible
2: like hearing how it all ties together and connects um you know, we saw recently that you stepped down from your position at the Red Bull Cliff Diving Series, but can you talk to us maybe a little bit about what that experience was like for you being involved in that aspect of diving? That's kind of wasn't around for a long time. And now it seems to be getting bigger and bigger every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was so great. Um, I, I, I loved being with the divers and that was like one of my highlights it was last year we did a camp, a couple camps in Austria. And, um, you know, and just to be there with the divers, working with them, you know, giving some of them some guided meditations, being on the pool deck. It was funny because um, I was coaching side by side with Joey Zuber. And if you were listening to us on the pool deck, you'd be, be like, what the hell are they looking at? You know, because Joey coached from the mechanics, you know, from the outside, what he saw, in and I was coaching from the inside out. What do you feel? What are what are you feeling? What are you sensing? What um, you know? I, so it was really really interesting. And also I realized that when I coach, I coach with music because I was sending you know music to a, a few of the athletes. Said okay, this is the theme song for this competition. Um, and, and it was so gratifying because, um, you know, um, Molly and Kat and, um, uh, Cynthia, you know, they all were, uh, wild cards when they started. And then by the end of the season, they made the finals. They, they were in the top four so that they're on the permanent roster for this year. Um, and, you know, I, I, I also, uh, the reason why I stepped down is that, um, you know, I used to dive at Mission Viejo and they were sponsored by Philip Morris, Miller brewing company. And, you know, and then USA diving was Phillips petroleum. And it's just like, you know, all that, the thing that struck me, the importance of being congruent, you know, um, and red bull you know if if i want to be my brand want i want to be more health and wellness it's not really in alignment yep. so um yeah so that's the reason why i stepped down i you know i just wanted to be in alignment you know i did tell bernie that i would be willing to judge because then it's not less of a yeah. product endorsement it's an, an event endorsement right um so um I, you know, I appreciate the divers. I love them. You know, I also, you know, appreciate what Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series is doing. You know that they're, yeah. you know, providing this opportunity. But um, as far as branding, it's, um, yeah, it's it it it's it's cost me some. You know, and also for myself personally, integrity. I yeah. think that that's something that's really important to me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of our last uh, question here before we get into like our signature questions is tell us what you're doing now, what you're passionate about, and what the future is gonna hold for you.
0: Well, let's see. Um what I'm really excited about, I I I have um a, a little dog, um, G Man. He's a Hungarian pumi. And uh I'm hopeful for uh to uh you know, for him to make world team, for us to make world team in dog agility. And so he's entered in his first trial next, this next weekend. And so see where we're at. You know, I also have a Perennian shepherd, Pax, who will also be entered in her first trial at that time too. But, you know, uh, she's five, gonna be six soon. Um, She's had some challenges. So, uh, you know, but, you know, getting her in the ring will be a victory. Uh, but with G, you know, my goal for him is potential world team. Oh, that's that's awesome. incredible. That's wow. Awesome. You so- want to have-
2: say
0: <laughs> hi? Yes. <laughs> Are you sleepy face? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. oh, there he is.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: So, this is G. tax is right behind. Oh, very good. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Really cool.
1: It seems like you have the chops to do all of that training and, you know, the, the connection with the animals is so important. And it just seems you mentioned as you were coaching, you know, you kind of go from the inside out and that, I mean, it seems to fit that world tremendously.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, I love, I, I love the dogs They're you know, so, uh, I mean, they'll, sh- they'll show you what you're not doing. Yeah. But you can't say, Oh yeah, I worked that. I worked that. I worked that. No, when, you know, when it comes to it, they'll, they'll, they'll expose what you're not doing. <laughs> so,
2: so I just, uh, just thought of this is, when you look back at the amazing life you've already led outside of athletics, what is something that stands out that you just look back and you're like, I can't believe I got to experience that.
0: Um, you know, uh, I'd have to say I made my professional dance debut with dance kaleidoscope. That was an incredible mountain for me to climb. Uh, And just a wonderful experience. I did a one man show in New York uh, and that was unbelievable. And I, I, I still, you know, like, I can't believe I did that. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many mountains that I've, that I've climbed that I, I never really expected to. Um, And just the gratitude and appreciation that I've been able to, 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 you know, to do those things and um, yeah. And have those experiences Uh, it's, it is. I mean, and, and, you know, like I said, I always wanted to be accepted in whatever I was doing, you know, for my own merits and what I was doing. I mean, even like with the dog agility, you know, it's, I, I have to put in the work, you know, we, we need to put in the work together to qualify So, and it's, it's, it's such a honest pursuit, I feel. And and so really, really um, embracing that, embracing that challenge. Sure. Awesome. That's awesome.
1: So we'll get into our signature questions here. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. um, We don't treat failure like a bad thing. We treat failure like an opportunity for growth. So Mm -hmm. the question is what is your favorite failure or your best opportunity for growth
0: um my okay in anything in it could be anything yep in anything oh you know what i'm not I, i'm not good at finances you know i that would probably be i would say my biggest failure but it's, but like you said, it's a learning opportunity. And Mm -hmm. the, the lesson that I'm learning is, um, is that it's okay to ask questions. You know, it's okay to question. It's okay to, you know, to investigate all of that stuff and, and being, um, you know, being okay with that. And, and also um, not knowing something. um, It, you ask ask it, there's no stupid questions and 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 also learning to be an advocate for yourself yeah you know, yes. you know i you know i because that's another thing that you know i've i've set other people left to fight my battles for me and i was like no no nobody's going to fight your battles like you will fight your battles for yourself yeah yeah, yeah. So that's that was like a really really huge lesson for me
1: sure that's incredible we, we pretty much, uh, built this podcast on asking questions. And so that was a, that was a perfect answer for, you know, everybody who's listening. That's there. They're no stranger to hearing that come out of our mouths. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Honestly, uh, Greg, like I, I loved hearing you say that because I tell all my student athletes, one of the biggest things that opened up, like my worldview was asking for help. Like just once I started asking, and I think it's being a young young male, like, and thinking I can get through this on my own. And once I realized when you ask for help, people want to help you. And typically, if you just ask politely, the worst thing anyone can ever say is no. And our listeners have heard us say that a million times. Like we've asked everybody that we've ever looked up to, including yourself to come on the podcast. And we're like, well, the worst they can say is no. And we have been, no one said no to us ever it's always look been look yep. where you are
0: right we're, <laughs> yeah. look, we're, we're in, all here together
2: We are interviewing yeah. the greatest diver ever
0: <laughs> it's awesome we're we're embracing each other to lift <laughs> each other up
2: yep exactly yeah. so i i out of all the answers we maybe have ever heard and it's no no shade to anybody that might be my favorite answer we've ever got because that's yep. like
1: how, it's how i live my life now i just ask for help always yeah yeah yep All right. My final signature question. Um, we, we always just ask whatever diving Avenue you come from and you've come from a long line of both USA diving, um, NCAA, obviously FINA. So my question is what can USA diving do to improve? I realize that's really open-ended and you can kind of take that anywhere.
0: Well, you know what? I, I've been so far removed from USA diving. I, I really have through, you know, through all of these years, Um, so I have no idea. I don't know where they're at and and all of this stuff. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's
1: no, that's okay. That's totally fair. I, I, I absolutely respect that.
2: So as we transition here into these next ones, you know, as an athlete, or even as a coach, what was your favorite drill to either do as an athlete or have your athletes do that you think benefits them the most?
0: Oh, um, probably, um, probably some of the okay. So, um, there's this one exercise that I do. It's kind of a guided meditation, mm-hmm. and so it is um, the the visual visualization aspect of it is, you know, you get a too relaxed state, and then when you hear "I am." you create this lotus flower and the lotus flower can be any color it's whatever you imagine but the lotus flower is all the labels that you give yourself that others give you also your your shields your guard you know all of those things that we kind of label you know like um oh i'm shy i'm this you know whatever that is i am create this lotus flower and then you set it on the water and let it go so i am let it go i am let it go and we do that for about 15 minutes so by the end of it you're empty you let all of the all of that stuff go whether it's Self-imposed, whether it's put on you by other people, expectations, any, anything like that. If it's guards that we put up, you know, out of defensive, you know, being defensive, but just letting all of that go. And that, I mean, a, after doing that exercise with a lot of, you know, a, a lot of the responses are, oh, my God, you know, I feel so relieved. Some it's very emotional because there's so many things that we try to hold on to, you know, that aren't serving us or things that we think are serving us, but really aren't, or that, you know, it's really somebody else's idea, not ours and who we are at our core. So to get to the bottom of, um, of where we are, who we are, and to be able to embrace ourselves for, you know, the flawed individuals that we are.
2: I love that's awesome. I like wrote notes down on it. so that way. I'm like, okay, try to figure this one out. I'm like, that's, that's incredible. Um, So, so throughout your life, what has been the best advice you have either given or received? And it does not have to be athletic related, whatever you think is the best advice you've either given
0: and or received um the best advice that i've given or received um i think i i think the important thing um okay uh you know and this came to i i was on a hike and i came across this snakeskin and it got me thinking it's like you know as human beings We have a tendency of putting up plaques. This is my certificate. This is my graduation. This is my, you know, and this is my gold medals. You know, we have trophies. And we have have a tendency of like, okay, holding this up, thinking they define us. Well, a snake sheds its skin. It's not going to carry its skin around and say, oh, look what I did. You know, we don't, nature doesn't do that. Nature is humble, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's one thing that people I've been asked, how do you stay so humble? Mm -hmm. Nature is humble. You know, if we allow ourselves to, you know, let go of, you know, the good and the bad, you know, and, you know, become something new, you know, it's it's not the even though the the snake sheds its skin it's still at the core a snake yeah you know so we we're never going to lose ourselves but we can shed those um those plaques and awards and you know um, you know those names and labels that people call us and that we call ourselves right
2: so that kind of, um, it just made me think of another question. We actually just recently asked this question of uh, Nick McCrory, but when you decided to retire from the sport of diving, did you struggle with that being part of your identity, such a big part of your identity for so long and then transitioning away from that? Was that a struggle for you and how did you deal with that? You know,
0: um, okay, so I got really busy. You know, after the Olympic Games, I got busy. Well, you know, I was also dealing with, uh, um, uh, you know, getting, getting myself out of an abusive relationship. So that was, you know, that was pretty present, um, during that time, but, you know, I got busy with other stuff like, um, doing the acting bit, you know, um, you know, so yeah, so I, I got busy, I think in the busyness, I I lost what was important to me because I was I also had people around me saying oh you need you should do this you should do that oh you've done this so you have to do this you know so I allowed people to kind of run my life and tell me what it, and they they tell me what I liked and what I didn't like you know and it's like <laughs> you know and and so. I allowed that to happen and I take full responsibility. Um, And so I allowed that to happen and it, it started to felt, feel normal. And so I have a manager now and she says, well, what does Greg want? What do you want? And I was like, wow, I really had to think about that. I really had to take a week, you know, and meditate on that and like, okay, what does Greg want? You know what brings me happiness? What brings me joy? And the thing that I, I kept coming back to is my dogs and my yoga practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's where I'm at peace, happy, and it brings me joy. That uh, that totally reminds me of that scene in
1: Bohemian Rhapsody when you know Freddie Mercury has been on his own now and you know he has all these other people saying this and that and and for lack of a better word kind of latching on and he right. finally he's in the rain and it's just this okay I'm done I'm I'm done with this I need to figure out me and it just seems very similar
0: yeah i mean and and it's it is it's so true because you know when um yeah and you can get caught up in it too and you can you can believe start believing what other people are saying and, and it's like you know that that's that's one thing that that i learned is like your your mind will lie to you your brain's yeah. gonna lie to you but your yeah. body will tell you the truth yeah so yeah. that's that and that's why i uh, i appreciate my yoga practice so much is that i tap into you know into my body it's like okay if i have a question if i'm on the fence about doing something it's like okay what is my body telling me and your body will tell you say you know oh yeah this is something you you really want to do something that you should do um but you know have the reasons for it so that you can commit and you know and be all in you know rather than one one toe in and one toe out yeah
2: absolutely so our last question for the evening is who would you like to hear us interview next?
0: Who would I like to hear you interview next? Um okay, why not? Tom Daly.
2: We've been searching. that's like the other one where like we keep asking and we'll eventually we'll get an yeah. answer.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just in London. Um, He was being honored by the Sports Institute. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Yeah, Sports Industry Awards uh, for his contribution uh, in, um, you know, uh, being out and and all that. And just a sweet, sweet young man. Now father, which really kind of blows me away um but he's just he's just a a good hearted kid you know mm-hmm. and um and that's the thing that i really really appreciate um you know always seems to meet everybody all of his fans all that you know with a smile yeah absolutely and and, and very uh gracious
2: mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah absolutely awesome we'll have we will add him to the list and keep trying um yeah. for for all of our listeners, just a reminders, um, the camps and clinics are on our link tree on our Instagram, the big clinic that we have coming up will be at Moss farm, September 23rd to the, through the 25th, uh, featuring, uh, head Olympic coach, drew Johansson, kind of leading the, the teachings there. So we really hope to see a lot of coaches and a lot of athletes there. We really, the goal is just for everybody to go there and learn. So, um, before Aaron sends us off, Greg, this has been a dream come true. Uh, you know, just thank you so much for your time. We know you are extremely busy, but we are very grateful for it: Yeah,
0: I appreciate you reaching out and and, and Heath, Aaron, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank yeah, you. of course. Uh, it also hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving
1: pod. Our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a question or a follow-up. Um, t-shirts and hoodies are for sale at divingpod.itemorder.com. Again, coupon code divepod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. Again, um, repeating what he said. Thank you so much, Greg. Dream come true. Just a fantastic night to sit down and, and talk about all
0: things diving. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll see you next time.